Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? Hi, this is Chris Jablonski, Director of CXO Revolutionaries and Community, welcoming you to another episode on the CIO Evolution. Today, we have Brad Moldenhauer, Vice President and CISO of Americas at Zscaler in his first appearance on the CIO Evolution. And it's great to be here in person at RSA Conference in San Francisco to do the recording. Hi, Brad. Hey, Chris. Uh, Looking forward to this talk. Me too. So even when not in the spotlight, it is certainly a sub-theme to everything cybersecurity and IT right now. AI, specifically generative AI. You know, according to Bloomberg in a newsletter I saw today, AI was mentioned more than 200 times on an earnings call this week by Meta, Alphabet, and Microsoft. So we've heard many viewpoints and advice from the CXO community, and I thought we would get specific uh, some of the pros and cons of this new world that we're entering where we have increased machine intelligence and automation across uh, cybersecurity functions. But what better place to start than some juicy details around a debate uh, that gets to the core of business and AI ethics? Also from Bloomberg, we have a report that many at Google were uncomfortable with the company's rush to get barred its chatbot out to the public last month to keep up with Microsoft and OpenAI. Others disagree, saying that, hey, with its flaws, uh, similar to the other bots, and because it's in beta, it's important to get it to the public as soon as possible to help improve upon it. So based on this story and your intuition, would you say that Google jumped the gun with a half-baked service, or is this the new normal for the AI arms race? Yeah, I I read this article and I, look candidly, you know, the only thing that I, I said to myself when I was done reading it, garbage in, garbage out, right? I, I mean, this is something that I think we've seen for quite some time, which is interesting because you're right, generative AI is is just come to the forefront, and when I saw that there, I, I mean, it was obvious. I think what, what had happened, um, the explosion uh, in just it, its capabilities, its risks. I mean, Google was taking a look at that, I, I believe, and said, hey, this, this could potentially challenge this I, I don't know, uh, century-long dominance that we've had in the web search space. We need to get our own model out there and people talking about it. And if you read that article, what I find just amazing is that, I mean, some of their own people were essentially calling their AI agent, you know, a liar. And it got me thinking about it. It's like, well, I think the question really becomes, is it, you know, the AI model that's a liar or is it the people who created it, you know, who may not have done the proper due diligence and released a product that doesn't have the integrity that it should. Now, I don't doubt that those people were likely pressure, uh, received pressure from, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying the highest levels there, but certainly levels above them. And look, if that's the case, um, I think we know who the liar is. And if so, you know, maybe that was fueled by, again, something I've, I've seen over and over in my career, which, you know, 
was initiatives fueled by minimal product viability. And I've always said, you know, when it comes to, um, there are benefits with doing that, but from a security perspective, you know, minimal product viability is going to get you maximum security exposure. Right. But would you say with AI, because of where it's at, it has a little bit more leeway in terms of where you really draw that line between the MVP and what is acceptable as you know the state of the art available. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and I think I think that's that's a question of what it's being used for, right? Um, we've seen all the uh, a number, well, not all. <laughs> we've seen a number of um, use cases uh, being used with generative AI now. Now, if that comes out and Oh, I don't know. You have, um, you know, people that are using it to, um, you know, craft business forward or, you know, business looking statements that may be inaccurate because of that lack of integrity or functionality. And if it's not functional, what does that say about its security? I mean, I don't know. Um, So, you know, you know, a couple of examples uh, that kind of came out of that. Let's assume somebody used that. like, okay, imagine I'm uh, an investor relations exec or, you know, a corporate controller at a public company. And prior to like an earnings announcement during that you know, uh, quiet period, if you will, I decide to use chat GPT to help, you know, craft a message. I, I may have just sparked a potential SEC or shareholder issue because, you know, the integrity of it, we just don't know uh, some of the flaws if it's actually... Um, uh, you know, parsing out misinformation or, uh, you know, I, I would question the security of it. Or, you know, here, here's another thing, because um, this will resonate with us uh, working in the field that we do. You know, I'm crafting an advertising strategy or a business campaign for a new product launch um, that hasn't gone GA. And, you know, I use uh, this, you know, uh, generative AI uh, uh, release, and, you know, for the messaging. And, you know, maybe I just disclosed a new innovation that was going to have market momentum and a splash because I have no idea, you know, what kind of security was built into it when it seems like it was rushed down. So those are some of the risks I think that we need to look at with, uh, you know, MVP, uh, you know, as opposed to just getting it out there and not really worrying about it and then letting people use it and then letting it tune over time. Right. Absolutely. It sounds like organizations should really step in to help employees know what the reality is in terms of trust in terms of like it's like buyer beware right like yeah. you got to really be careful in terms mm-hmm. of who you are at the company using it what you're using it for mm-hmm. and what you're feeding it because all those have an implication on cybersecurity accuracy mm-hmm. and you got to really be knowledgeable about what you're going to eventually use it for right? yeah well and you know here, here's an interesting thought too <clears throat> Because the way I phrase that, you know, there's risk that, hey, I'm using this generative AI um, solution by this company. And I, you know, start asking it, you know, those scenarios that I mentioned there. You know, you could ask, hey, what is the difference between, you know, using similar input in a, a general, you know, search engine such as Google or Bing? You know, if I'm performing, like, in a, a good example, that was... You know, if I'm performing like patent searches, uh, you know, via Google, be because I'm thinking of filing a patent, you know, maybe I've just disclosed that idea to Google. Have we ever thought about that? <laughs> you know, so um, now it's interesting. I if somebody asked me that, like, you know, one of our customers would be like, well, okay, we, you know, 
as an inline proxy, you know, we're masking, you know, our customers' um, um, IP and namespace. So when they go to a website and they're trying to scrub, hey, what organization is this or who is this? You know, all they're seeing is, is Zscaler namespace. So maybe they'll think it was us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Definitely some implications for, for data privacy <laughs> at large. So if we now start to walk down the path of cybersecurity, we have seen several examples and countless articles about malware, phishing, and other threats being assisted with these tools, right? It was bound to happen, and we're seeing it come to life. Zscaler re released a phishing report stating that threat actors had used phishing kits and chatbot AI tools like ChatGPT in their efforts. As a CISO, what are some of the strategies now that there's sophisticated deep fakes, new forms of social engineering and spear phishing taking place as a result and only get worse with this new sophisticated tool? Yeah, um, I, I think it, it, it was almost an inevitability, you know, weaponizing, you know, generative AI. And I, I was reading a great report uh, earlier um, here uh, at, at our RSA um, where, you know, AI was being used for uh, sophisticated mobile scans. And then the follow-up to that was an impersonation attack where, you know, somebody was convinced that they were either, you know, texting or even talking, you know, to someone like based on some of those models that uh, were being used for, you know, malicious purposes, right? Um, you know, and I mean, we've seen in the past where AI models uh, have been tampered with, um, you know, for malicious outcomes to deliver and execute arbitrary and malicious code. Um, and I think one of the challenges for um, security practitioner, practitioners in general is that these AI models aren't protected with typical security capabilities and controls that are in routine use, like you know endpoint detection and response, um, identity and access management controls. They're they're not really uh, germane here. So it's it, it, it's interesting because I you know here here at Zscaler, one of the things I I always ask internally is because yeah we've had AI and ML for quite some time. Like, what do we actually do uh, to put, you know, these guardrails in, um, you know, to prevent misuse? And I think there's two aspects to that. Um, you know, if I'm responsible for the development of an AI model, how do I make sure that model's adequately protected for its purpose? Um, like typical security risk, um, you know, we need some kind of proactive threat discovery, but, you know, for pre-trained models, you know, you need to assess it for the tampering, hijacking, and, and abuse. Um, and you, you need to securely evaluate the model's behavior in real time and make sure that it aligns with, you know, whatever predefined ranges you have. But other than that, I mean, it's a lot of the basic practices you would see in, I think, typical product and application, uh, you know, development. Um, cryptographic hashing, you know, digitally signing code for product integrity validation, and really to help make it as tamper resistant uh, as possible. Uh, I think like any, and then like any um, asset under a CISO's purview, you know, independent assessments, you know, pen testing to really reduce uh, the potential for misuse, right? And then the other aspect of it is, you know, uh, like you said, I mean, uh, at the beginning of this, you know, uh, 
there's a really good model out there and you know what i've got malicious intentions and i want to use that model to create deep fakes of a competitor to cause reputational harm that is very difficult to police right um so other than if you're the person putting out the model how are you governing the users of that model in a way that they're not using it to car cause harm to others that's a very difficult question yeah it sounds like ai could just be diffused through so many threat vectors that you can't treat it as one in its own right mm -hmm. but how would you say that in terms of the real and imminent risks that it poses how would you compare it to some of the more traditional cybersecurity threats we see today um well you know, one of the things that, that we always talk about with AI and ML is, is really kind of automating, um, you know, a specific outcome. Um, uh, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, cyber defenders um, have really found incredible benefit um, and, you know, reduction of risk through the automation of uh, advanced threat protection, right? Um, you know, I... I don't know the last time I talked, you know, to a peer of mine or, or a customer of ours who, you know, wasn't using, um, you know, some type of AI or ML driven, uh, you know, endpoint protection platform. We don't see signature based, um, you know, AV <laughs> solutions out there um, anymore. Um, so, you know, from that aspect, uh, I think that th there's a lot of there's always been some value in the way that it automates so now if we look at that you know reverse you know how are these guys leveraging that to automate you know their malware dissemination and i think something that that's that's been around um for a while at least in theory is you know we've got all these cybersecurity solutions out there that are using ai and ml to you know provide uh, high fidelity alerts um, prevention well, what if a malicious actor was able to poison that to then get it to start uh, allowing the bad stuff and, <laughs> you know, and, and then all of a sudden it gets tuned to that. And then who knows how rampant that can become or pervasive. So, yeah, a lot of concerns with that, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think my heart's already racing with so many <laughs> different ways this could go sideways. But now that we've covered the outside-in threat, and at the beginning we talked a little bit about the inside-out, like there's more opportunity for unintentional insider th threat activities, right? Oh, yeah. But let's pivot now to some of the pluses for generative mm -hmm. AI and cybersecurity. We've seen a lot of vendors here at RSA at least giving an indication of the new powers that will be available to SOC teams and to CISOs who are looking for more efficiencies, more optimization, things that take pretty much a machine now to handle, whether it's processing giant data sets, uncovering threats, etc. But um, tools like ChatGPT can improve efficiency, and I think we've seen some examples of that, and can be tuned to effectively <laughs> manage cyber risk. Can you walk us through some of uh, like some of the process improvements that you could see? I mean, is it simply like putting a report together with the help of ChatGPT and sending it to the board? Yeah, yeah. I I think there's 
a number of uh, beneficial use cases. And look, I, you know, you and I have talked about this. We've we've played around with it uh, in a number of scenarios, and I think that's good. We need that sense of curiosity. I mean, that's what I'm. I've, I've been doing a lot with it. Is um, you know, now I'm even kind of looking at it, and as I'm thinking of uh, you know ways that it could cause. Uh, and, and I hate doing this because I know that there's, uh, you know, benefits to it. And I know you asked me about that specifically, but, you know, I start looking at it from, oh, wow, this is great. But, oh, wow, I start spinning it around. I'm like, this could potentially cause material harm if this or that happens. So one of the things I'm talking about uh, with, with customers now is, hey, how can we use this for some of those benefits? And I think really... I see all kinds of approaches here, but the one that I really like the most is, okay, look, a new story is popping up every day about, you know, some kind of exposure or material harm. You know, right now we need to find out more about this. And, you know, if I was in a role um, you know, where I still had uh, those kind of operational responsibilities, you know, the security team would have full access, you know, to chat GPT while we, you know, limited its um, access on a case-by-case basis, reviewing what some of these use cases are. Because look, in organizations, technology and security is not the only place where innovative and creative people work, <laughs> right? So, you know, I've been talking to um, customers and helping them guide, what's that look like? Um, at least from a technical enforcement, which is quite simple, uh, but what, what exactly are we looking at? Well, exactly what we're talking about now is um, understanding what kind of governance we probably need to put in place, like, you know, like a generative AI policy. and. The challenge with that is, I, I've talked to some customers, like, oh, yeah, not a problem. And you know, they've, like, we've already drafted it. Here it is, it's like 20 pages. And the problem is, no one is going to read that other than the security team. Too detailed, verbose, 20 pages of a policy? That's not a policy. That's a, a short story narrative. So I think that what we need to do to really harness the benefits of it is um, we need to get. You know, our user base, our developer base trained on a, a core set of principles, right? What are the three or four things um, that are that really make up the moral compass that, you know, these um, personas should be following, right? Um, uh, you know, here, I, I one of the things I, I uh, was interested in looking at is, you know, we have a code of conduct for our data scientists, right? Um, and we... Uh, have them under, you know, we have them understand, you know, those principles, uh, because again, they're the creative people, and we don't want to stifle innovation. Um, But, you know, you do want to create, I think, in essence, you know, that moral compass, so they realize, hey, I'm on a slippery slope, I'm going to stop and ask for guidance. Um, That's the best way I think to mitigate material impact and material exposure. Let creativity and innovation flow. Train people on the principles so they know those three to four things that will heighten vigilance. Making them take pause and you know seek guidance from the experts in security, privacy, legal, and so on. I think if if organizations do that, they'll mitigate a lot of risk before it really s- starts cascading into something significant. Right. Yeah. So companies should be at this point in their next round of user awareness training, putting in a section in there about generative AI 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, again, one of the things that I'm doing now, some of them are even fast tracking that a little bit. Uh, and I love when I hear this, it's, hey, the security team, we, we need to be the first users of this to really kind of find out you know, all the potential use cases of it and work with these stakeholders and all of our lines of business, whether, you know, depending upon what it is that uh, your organization does. But what, what I feel like they're doing there or ultimately could be doing is shaping the path of the risk for their business, their customers, and um, you know, maybe even society. Do you get a sense that because of what's happening with this technology and its explosion, that we're going to see more necessary cooperation between the CISO and say the CIO who's also trying to figure out you know, what is the the business implication here because yeah. on IT and the CTO as well, right? Because mm-hmm. this is kind of like a, a fog moving through every aspect of the organization. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can see... I, and I hate to say it, but I can see some typical technology and security governance issues there. Um, uh, I haven't seen this yet, but will it, you know, create a role? The chief AI officer, right? Um, and I, I think that's kind of an interesting question because do we even have a chief application officer? Right? I mean, I know we have a CIO, a CTO, a CDO, a CPO, a CRO, a CSO. If anything, we have too many um, of these individuals and too many people who have accountability for it rather than saying, hey, I own it and now I'm, you know, the focus shifts to, you know, how do we evolve ourselves, our knowledge, our learning, our governance, our technologies to best manage it, right? Well, say I'm a CIO, which just sees on mm-hmm. this uh yeah. Decision point. For example, you could put more or less AI in productivity suites, right? Mm-hmm. What is the right balance uh, in your view? So that I'm just going to say right now, I would welcome that. So um, like AI and productivity suites, like, uh, and let's just use like the Microsoft Office suite, like, and think think about you know using AI in the creation of. I don't know, pivot tables, right? Or, you know, just advanced features like that. You know, is there danger with that? Like, could we have too much AI in our pro- productivity? So, and obviously we, we both see it going way beyond, you know, just business tools like that. But, you know, again, I would welcome that uh, in typical enterprise business apps because even in the office productivity suite, you know, I at times struggle to find where to implement a feature that I've drawn up in my mind. You know, I think having a mature version of, you know, Clippy pumped with a generative AI steroid would be quite useful, right? Um, it would also save me the time that I typically spend, you know, searching YouTube for a video on how to add gradient color to a customized elbow connector in a presentation or something, right? So it would be much better to embed a generative AI feature that, you know, could templatize those tasks and bury the complexity, not only for me, but just, you know, for our users in general. But now, you know, again, I come at this from, you know, the angle that I do, you know, now we've come full circle. And the question is, again, what integrity assurances do I have that this AI AI model isn't doing something unbeknownst to me? Uh, Do I know this model isn't susceptible to embedding malicious code in my presentation file? 
ostensibly weaponizing it and I send it to you know you and now I've become a distributor of malicious code because of a, a model flaw that allowed it uh, to be manipulated or poisoned um, you know these are the scenarios we need to be thinking about because you know we've already seen AI and ML models used for malware dissemination so if we enable uh, or add on a flawed ML model into our corporate office app for example you know that would be instantaneous mobilization of a, a, a like a monumental malware delivery system that's masked by our identities and the trust that we have with our peers customers stakeholders and each other as we exchange files that could be disastrous for society right that's a high cost for getting an outcome that's machine driven versus the alternative which may have taken you a little bit more time but the you know, it's like an A-B test. Yeah. You could do the human intelligence-driven activity. It might take a little bit more time, but there it's the pure ingenuity of the person. Mm-hmm. And then you got to compare it to what could have been if you just decided to, to press the chat GPT button. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to make a decision about which one you're actually going to yeah. use. And I, I mean... I, uh, you, I mean, you're my content editor. I mean, we develop a lot of content, um, adding automation into that and kind of pulling everything that's out there to, um, you know, not only help with the content, but also, you know, the aesthetics of it. Uh, yeah, I would love that. I, I would love more automation in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely mm. a big impact on the world of graphic design, right? Yeah. Website creation, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, as we come to a close, we're... Uh, basically facing the inevitable question about AI risks to society. You know, should we heed this warning or is it overblown? As, as I'm having more and more discussions, it's the one thing that I don't think that we're talking about is, you know, what, what is our future dependence on these AI systems look like? And what, what could we gain and what could we lose? Uh, you know, for example, um, from a from a loss perspective, you know, reading a map or using a compass, uh, can anyone even do that anymore because of GPS? What if we lost all GPS around the world? Yeah, so I think that that's something to to think about. And you know, I don't want to go go to the extreme on this, but you know, we've been we've already been living in this digital you know messaging where text, Slack messages, etc., and we've really minimized our interpersonal interactions tremendously by and large um, you know as humans we have more data at, at at the ready and maybe we get stuck in this paradigm where we we harness that to affirm uh, our points of view rather than inform them and ultimately that polarity that's been growing for quite some time is you know we get more and more dependent on technology it gets access uh, exacerbated by generative AI, and we shut down, you know, our basic sensibilities to critically think, problem solve. You know, I, I really think we need to guard against that individually and collectively, you know, in order to have, you know, the society we want, and having uh, uh, the technology uh, like generative AI, you know, connecting and enriching lives you know, to really create uh, social and economic benefits. So, yeah, I, I don't want to come across as, um, 
you know, someone who's vehemently against this. I'm very much for it. I just think that we need to, you know, properly assess all the risks uh, associated with it and then uh, really maximize um, all the tremendous benefits it can provide us. Well, thank you, Brad, for joining us on the CIO Evolution. Uh, Brad's a frequent guest on the CISO's Gambit, one of our three podcasts on CXO Revolutionaries. Please subscribe to them all for perspectives on business, infotech, and cybersecurity. Brad, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.